0: We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we record from today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today.
1: Meet the source a new podcast from Cappy, where hosts Emma Evans and Thurman Wise get to the source of our daily rituals, speaking with entrepreneurs that are changing the face of our day to day. From making our bed to a glass of wine and everything in between, we give you a peek into the leaders making our daily rituals serve us better, support our communities and bring positive change to our surroundings.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Source with myself, Thurman.
1: And me, Emma.
0: Emma Evans. Um, you just said
1: Thurman, so why do I have to say my full name?
0: <laughs> I don't know. It just Emma <laughs> Evans just rolls off. Emma Evans. All right, cool. That's. I feel like that's what I always call you. Yep. Anywho, we're very excited. We have the amazing Elise Pioche, the founder of Mason Balzac, the absolutely beautiful... Gorgeous, can't say enough nice things about it, homewares. Can't
1: buy enough of it.
0: Yeah, can't buy <laughs> enough of it. I know that Emma's Christmas list has gone into the I, multiple I know, numbers. it's just
1: so beautiful. And hopefully after everybody listens today, they'll fall more in love with it when they know the backstory to it all.
0: Yeah, and the inspiration. I think it makes the objects even more beautiful mm-hmm. and especially now that the sun is coming out
1: today is a beautiful day
0: and yeah it's time for entertaining time to you know dust off the entertainment gear which i've recently moved apartments and i still don't have anything so maybe this is the this, signal. Is, the, this
1: is the way when i moved last year i bought quite a lot from here and i love it it's special it looks nice. People appreciate it.
0: Drinks taste better. They do. Food tastes better off of it. Yep. All right. Well, maybe I'll yep. invest in a video. Jump bit. online. Jump online. Yes. Or possibly walk into their new store that is opening shortly. Yes. Here in Melbourne.
1: But get ready. This was uh, one of my favorites.
0: So with that being said, welcome Elise Piyosch. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hello. Thank you so much. Hello.
0: For those of our listeners that might not be familiar with yourself or your brand, would you mind giving a small introduction of who you are and what you do? Yeah, of
2: course. Look, um, first of all, I'm French, as you can hear, (laughs) but now I'm French-Australian, and I created Maison Balzac 10 years ago, and so it's been a beautiful adventure of creativity and building a team and values and a narrative and all i do is homewares and fun things all within the walls of maison balzac
1: we were chatting before we started about how we got here and i was explaining how everyone at Cappy is
2: such huge fans of the brand and the product and that always touches me i love the fact that some people like it out there (laughs) (laughs) love it
0: (laughs) i would say it's probably obsessed (laughs) is how i would describe it
2: (laughs) even better thank you
0: (laughs) well i mean you know i think you know it's one of those funny things that not everyone takes for granted but being in the drinks industry you know one of the most important parts of any drink is the vessel that it's served in and i always like to joke that the first thing you do the first taste of a cocktail or a mocktail or a soft drink is always the visual component and if you look at something beautiful, it tastes beautiful before you even sip on it.
2: That's true. And that's why, you know, one of the first glass we created was actually pink. And it was a reference to Grace Jones, La Vie en Rose. You know, that song that is from Edith Piaf, but it's just, I feel like if you have pink tinted glasses or to see or to drink immediately, everything just tastes differently. So we actually have this on the packaging and we say that this glass will actually make everything taste nicer <laughs> so it's the and i believe in it and i agree with you the you know the thickness and the roundness and the the color everything participates to how we uh, appreciate a drink so it goes hand in hand
0: and i think what's super interesting there as well is the inspiration behind it and i think you know at least One of the big reasons why we wanted to start this podcast was to really dive into the creativity behind objects or even actions that some people might take for granted. You know, you see a pink glass and you say, oh, how nice of a color is pink? Mm -hmm. But there's actually so much depth to that choice probably. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny because often, I wonder where it comes from, you know, creativity, not just in me, but in any creatives. And I read a book from a journalist, but it was years ago, so I can't even remember the name. But he was someone who moved to Paris when he was about 20. And he he, he kept on wondering why everything brought him back to where he came from and so he he gave it a name and he calls it the emotional geography so when we grow up everything we do where we live the people who frame who we are that becomes something so deeply ingrained in us it becomes our emotional geography and for the rest of our life we'll either use this to you know we put this to good use or if we hated it, we'll still try to actually do something against it. So either way, you like it or you or not, the rest of your life is based on on the beginning. So I guess you know, in my case, the beginning was a ridiculously happy childhood in the south of France with a loving family and two brothers and. Both my parents are extremely into nature. So we would uh, be barefoot most of the time outside of school hours, uh, you know, just foraging, understanding season, uh, recognizing mushroom, the one that you can eat, the one you shouldn't, picking herbs. And then I would catch prawns since the age of four. And I would be friendly little fish that always hide in the same rock. And um, so all these colors... And that lifestyle is completely informing everything I do today. And that's why you'll see creatures popping up like giant snails and actually little prawns. And this color pink, I guess, you know, that's also something like my wallpaper in my bedroom was pink. So sometimes it comes down to tiny details. But like I said, that forged who I am and my entire emotional geography that now I have a pleasure to share with a maximum of people. But I guess, yeah, that's where creativity comes from for me.
0: I was just thinking, like, as a parent, so I've done a little, a little bit of research on you. As a parent, do you feel extra pressure to create that emotional connection <laughs> from the beginning? Because you're like, gosh, I'm going to completely... Yeah,
2: well, you know, there is actually... It's a big question that I ask myself every day because my landscape and the smell I know and the colors, they're all from the south of France. And I couldn't have found a more different landscape sound, colour and taste and, you know, perfume that coming to Sydney, Australia, we you don't have the same, the time doesn't smell the same, the pine needles don't smell the same. And so raising my daughter in this environment, sometimes I feel like she's missing out on what I've known, but I'm also discovering an entire new emotional geography with her. But I have realized that I reproduced that connection to nature, and I'm so proud of this. She's the only one who in the classroom would pick up a cockroach to get it out without squashing it because she's not scared of insects, and she appreciates it, and she values the life of an insect. But 99% of the little friends are in, in class spontaneously would you know kill it and exit it so I think I've done good on that level she's uh yeah definitely I'm reproducing that but in another country which is fascinating
0: and it's so interesting to think of you know maybe 30 years from now or 40 years from now what creations that she will create from that yep. emotional geography
2: exactly but she started which is wonderful to see that she, we constantly talk at home about the latest vase or name or she looks at my little uh, notebooks where I draw things and she always comes in and she's like, but mama, what about this and that and that? And in this collection this year, she's actually literally designed the hand napkins we have in the range. And that all came out of lockdown where she was stuck with me at work and she started cutting out hands and filling them with paper and pretending they were fake hands. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, that could be a linen napkin, you know? Uh, And she was like, yeah, why not? And there is a vase named after her. So she's already started expressing things and she values that and she understands that an idea can become an object as well because for so long your ideas stay ideas. And I find that um, some of us are just – we've got that ability to make things happen and she can see that. She can – see it's possible and we definitely know she's going to be creative and we cannot wait to see what's going to come out of her because she's already started and I think it's only going to get stronger and better from here so yeah I look forward to that
1: it's amazing and I love the whole emotional geography almost should replace a business plan. Yeah. But what was that experience like for you as well as you grew a business? Like were you able to just continually tap into your intuition and that and not kind of feel like you have to then lean to the more black and white linear side of business yeah. um, in yeah. my, you know, if some, if listeners
2: could see my hands, inverted <laughs> commas. Well, you know, what's funny is like I've, even when I started, I never had a business plan. I didn't have projections. I didn't have expectation. I just gave it a big go. I was coming out of a career as a fashion buyer where travel was nonstop. I was never home. I was exposed to 200 different designers, you know, and their collection four times a year, um, absorbing their creativity, loving it because fashion is my obsession. Um, and then one day I thought, you know what, it's just a bit too relentless. I was 36 and I felt like it was time for me to – to go to the next stages of my creative life. So I I resigned, stopped everything. And then I knew deep down that all I wanted to do was tell my story of this beautiful childhood, but through, at first it was candles and, and scent, so perfume. Because my grandmother and my mother had a perfumery store actually in the south of France. And they were the first ones to have the license to sell the Chanel perfume, you know, in the in wow. the town we grew up in. So that, you know, was a big, um, I just wanted to do like them, but have my own collection. So it started as a big desire to tell a story. And so the only way I could do that was to tell my genuine, honest My five first candles were basically five precise moments on a Sunday. When I was eight years old, growing up in the south of France, so, you know, one of them in the morning was the freshly squeezed orange juice that my mum would serve at the breakfast, and then it was the smell of that tiny little stone church that my grandma would take us at ten a.m. every Sunday, and then it would be the afternoon walk in the forest, so it smelled of pine needle and cedar wood. The fourth candle was roses because I would have to cross the garden, which was full of roses, to get into my grandma's garden because she would pour a lavender bath at 5pm every Sunday for me. So the fifth candle was lavender. And so by having that projection of a perfect Sunday when I was eight years old in five candles, that just laid the foundation of my story, which I never called a business to start with. And then that was picked up by Colette in Paris, you know, and I was like, Oh, damn, now I have to produce them. And now it has to start. And so it was completely organic all along. But what really I think kept me going was that every time I needed a new product or a new idea, I would just close my eyes and bring back memories put myself back into the living room when my mom was displaying flower in that vase. I was oh my God, that vase shape was amazing. And it's a bit like having a photographic memory as well, where you can just go back to these places, look around and be like, oh yeah, I remember that wallpaper. Or I remember that teapot, that tea set, that plate, or a book. or So literally, I've got an infinity supply of ideas and I'm extremely prolific. We can't actually do them all because... I just tap into my memory, but also I love the idea that that means we never copy anyone because there is only one Elise Pioche. And then by being so genuine, we attract people who are actually really interested by this story and if I continue in that direction, like I'm never going to disappoint the people who like the brand because I'm being very truthful to why I'm doing this. And but, you know, we were saying Emma, before starting, like I've got 18 people now that are part of my team and they all know my story and they all know like this is the genuine and you know, core of what I do. And stupidly, I never thought that he could make any money. You know, it was never for the money or any still isn't, you know, it just happens that it's very successful. But as long as we keep that in mind, I think uh, that'll make me very happy. As Thurman and I always say, when you put out joy,
1: joy comes back to you. So there's, there's something to do with the energy that is surrounding
2: yeah. your intention. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And it's so funny because so Emma has really harvested an environment at Cappy that's really about like learning and and kind of, I guess I wouldn't say improving, maybe evolving mm-hmm. ourselves. And so today we did a learning and development session that I had to run and we knew I wanted it to be about creativity. And I was so stressed for the last two weeks because I was like, I there's no formula yeah. and Previously, my colleague that did it was all about productivity and how you really set yourself up for success. And it was really enlightening. Mm -hmm. But I was like, how do I explain how to create something? And I was so stressed because for me, it's like I go on a walk. I listen to a record. I go to a museum. Like I need to be inspired by things that are outside of drinks. And I just feel like you've like, the way that you've said it, I was like, I wish I could have video called you in For the session. Well,
1: I heard it was a hit, nonetheless. I don't know what you did. I was unfortunately not there, but I heard that it was a success.
0: Well, I will give you a quick little brief for our listeners out there of the L and D session we had at Cappy. I actually just had everyone get into small groups and make up an idea. Because I was like, everyone's creative and everyone's diverse. And so for 45 minutes, we just sat in small groups and came up with the future of Cappy. So
2: Wow. Did you find that actually in these groups and that the people who said no but I'm not creative they actually are they just don't have the confidence to to share that
0: so that was actually I didn't bring that up because I didn't want anyone to say that because
1: because I say it all the time (laughs) about myself yeah
0: Emma says it all the time (laughs) but we are all we're so creative but you know society tells you Mm -hmm. if you're not painting if you're not making music if you're not a ballerina you're not creative And, and and maybe not maybe society isn't saying that but to me i've always kind of felt that i wasn't creative because i couldn't draw
2: yeah
0: and now 37 years old i'm like holy heck i'm freaking pretty creative <laughs> but you're right but we're also we're also creative we just have different ways of doing it whether it's producing candles or or creating you know like your daughter creating a linen napkin you know it's like
2: (laughs) but you know there is that sentence I've got one hero in this world I mean he's passed but it was Jean Cocteau who was a multi kind of skilled artist he could paint and write and act and do all these things and he had that one saying he used to say just be yourself everybody else is taken and I feel like we all absolutely all have a personality and a bag of weirdness and because no one is normal but some of them dare sharing and being open about it but too many people yeah are a bit pressured by society because they don't think it's going to be good enough so yeah
0: and two on that like not every idea is going to be a hit you know sometimes you just got to be like i have the best idea chocolate water (laughs) and like maybe not (laughs) okay next one well i got another idea you know you can i guess like and i would imagine for you you've probably had some things you've created where you're like,
2: I know, absolutely. But even, you know, the amount of prototypes we make and the, the dead end we meet. And sometimes it's the maker who said, Elisa, you'd smoking like that. Absolutely (laughs) not possible. And some mothers, like we actually, I'll start with one idea and the maker said, but what about that? And then we actually, it's never just the idea of one person either. You know, it's just a, a group, a communal kind of journey. But yeah, you're right. Not all ideas. You, you find out pretty quickly when you have a team what is, shouldn't go out there. <laughs> but I have to say that sometimes, like let's say a couple of times. My team would say, Elise, that's actually really silly and I'm not sure. But that's where I'm very proud of myself. Sometimes I don't have a confidence, but sometimes when I'm sure, I'm "I'm sorry, this has to go public. This has to happen. I push and push. And let's say, you know, we've got a recycled marble powder in a snail, like it's that size, so it's not a normal size. And the antenna actually, incense sticks, so it's a holder and you just refill the antenna. And half of my team was like, this is naff, this is stupid. I said, <laughs> It actually makes so much sense to me because when yeah. I was three, I drew that snail on an A4 piece of paper and the teacher had to call my parents to say, you must come and see what Elisa's done today. And so in the shell of the snail, I had compartmented the shell into like 20 square each of them were perfectly like filled in with different colors that were gradient and the teacher said at three that's not normal <laughs> and then, but then you know so I was like I was sure that snail would come back into my life and so I was 30 40 probably and that snail was back there as a product for Maison Balzac. so we launched it And, you know, it was a small success, but nevertheless, it was existing until we actually had an email from Liberty in London being like, hello, Liberty (laughs) of London, we just spotted your snail and we wondered if you would like to join, you know, the uh, Shelves of Liberty. It was a hell yes, but, you know, it's this kind of things that you have to push just a little harder that probably wasn't a good idea, but, you know, it could be and then it leads you to great things so I think sometimes we should back up even the bad taste ideas because they also say a lot about who we are (laughs) I mean I can't
1: imagine you kind of coming out to your team saying like told you so but internally (laughs) internally having a very happy dance (laughs)
2: yeah (laughs) no but you know it just builds the confidence next time it's the same situation I'll be like guys Trust me on that one. <laughs> we need to do it. And then they trust me as well. So they're great experience to go through together. That's amazing.
0: Obviously, you're very inspired by your childhood. But like on your day-to-day, are there things that you do to help get the creative juices flowing? Or, yeah. Or kind of...
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm one of these people that I call sponges, which literally every single thing, even the smallest in the day, I notice them and they stay in my mind and they travel and then they come out the other end like they are like little seeds that grow and then they come out eventually in what I do. And to give you an example, one day, my daughter, it was a summer day yeah, last year, never ending long day. My daughter didn't want to come out of the, the water. She was swimming, swimming, swimming. And all I was bursting to do was to come up with a couple of ideas for new candle holders. And because there was no way she was going to come out of the water... I just looked around me and I just tapped the sand in front of me, the wet sand, took a stick and I started designing lots of ideas. The water, you know, the waves took out, out of half of them, but the wave left me with a couple that I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. And it was inspired by the shells I could see and I, I had my daughter having fun in front of me and then, so I pulled my phone, took a photo and then on the Monday I got to work and I said to Amanda who develops all the products with me, I said I think this is a good one. And it was surrounded by everything around me and the theme was the fruits of the sea for the whole year and now it's in the collection you know we we launched this in july so it's all about taking advantage of absolutely everything that surrounds me all the time or even you know certain color of bark from eucalyptus that dropped on the ground we go for a walk and i'm like this is the beige i want for my next platter made of recycled bamboo and say so every little bits and bobs and it's about keeping your eyes open and it's that beautiful movie on uh, Diana Vreeland and she said the eyes have to travel and you just need to make sure your eyes are continuously open and that yeah you connect and notice all these things to build so yeah that's my everyday really everything can be the an excuse for a new color a new shape a new idea um, that's how it works for me.
0: I just have to say, next time I'm in Sydney, we need to get a coffee. Yeah. I want to be your best friend. You just <laughs> described like...
1: I think you should get a walking coffee so that you can like
0: be like, what coffee. do you see? Yeah. What do you see
1: now?
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> but I'm, I'm so similar. I was like at our L&D session today. I'm like, I'm a sponge. I just like, I'm the person I go out. If I see something... I pick it up and I collect it. Like my jackets will have stuff in them. I've got like files of just I don't know why I've touched it yet, but one day it's gonna be something. It's like
2: So do you actually write or draw or create things, or do you are you more like a thinker than a maker?
0: I'm in transition.
2: Okay, great.
0: So I'm a tinker, but I've I've always taken photos and I've recently started to like to paint and collage and I've been working on a candle project now for three months that I haven't started yet, but we'll get there. Well,
2: it started if you have an idea. That's a start.
0: True. I just need a little bit of more of that confidence to it will get it out. Currently, got it in Yeah, currently everything sits. Yeah, Good. Everything sits in my apartment. But
1: Or as my Christmas present, often I'll get something yeah. made by Thurman. <laughs>
0: Yay! I mean, I also got Emma's birthday present made, which was in March but it's still not ready, so.
2: Some things take longer. (laughs) I think you gave me a book this
1: year and I looked at you and said, you gave me this book last year. (laughs) Well, it must be a good book. You said, oh, the card's in the cover. Do you want to read it?
0: No, no. What happened was this book, I bought two. I bought one for Emma and I bought one for myself. And I was looking at my bookshelf and I saw the book and I was like, oh, my God, I never gave Emma her book. So I I always, if I give a book as a gift, I write a note in there. So I took my book and I wrote Emma a note and I brought it to her. I was like, oh, my God, I never gave you your gift. She's like, yeah, you did. I've already read it. <laughs> so now I have my... Friends,
2: were the notes on the forefront different? Because I guess you wrote the note twice. twice. I think I did. Yeah, we should compare. Yeah, we should compare. That's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> you've got like some
1: amazing stockers, but you've also got your stores here. Were there any that you were just... So blown away by, just couldn't believe that they wanted to stock the brand and work with the brand.
2: Yeah, there were two. So my absolute favorite at the time was Colette in Paris. So it's shut now, but when they literally, you know, took my brand on six months into the life of Maison Balzac, I thought, oh my god, I can stop now. It's okay, I was <laughs> like, but you've already started. So anyway, I'm glad I continued. So we were together for a good two or three years, and then the the intentionally stopped the the store. And the second one I've always had, literally when I started, I thought, oh, if one day I've got these two stores, I'm done. And it was Colette and Liberty. So they were 10 years apart, you know, in uh, joining the brand. But I think sometimes you need to have that stability and show people you're here for the long term mm-hmm. until they get interested in you. And so, yeah, these were the majors. So now literally, yeah, I can resign now. <laughs> I can go into somewhere. I, mean, I hit my, my dream, dream stalls. But I have to say, you know, that along the years, it's really the little stalls that took a chance with me carrying my brand from day one, displaying it, explaining to people what it was about, having the customers who came again and again and again, they've built up who we are today. So all these little Unknown stores spread out in Australia around the world. They are literally the team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are uh, because yes, you've got the the majors and the department stores. But my hat to all the uh, you know hardworking buyers out there who place an order, are on the floor, and just yet yeah, uh, choose you. And what's a beautiful cycle with my brand is that usually when buyers pick up the brand we hold hands for many years and the five first stores that I approach to sell my brand to, I still work with them. Yeah. Nice. 10 years later. So yeah. And then having my own stores was never on the cards. I wasn't attracted to that. I trusted all the retail stores to do that for me. And then, yeah, my facialist moved out. And while she was doing my facial, she was like, you know, I'm moving out. And I was like, what? <laughs> that space is going to be empty. And I had so many beautiful me time which is super rare you know in her hands in that place and i was like it needs to be me after you like you make so much happiness and she's such a spiritual person as well i felt like she just infused who she was in the walls and i thought it would be a very safe warm nest for me to have my entire collection under one roof so it was a seamless operation where i just called the agent and then we were in it like eight weeks later after she moved out so again you know it wasn't planned again that's what i was saying there is no business plan i think it's very to me reassuring to walk into life without a plan because then you're not disappointed (laughs) and then you've got the freedom to accept things that feel right at the time and i know some people would be very scared to walk blind like that but that's my preferred way of doing things so it must be nice though in your own store to actually
1: showcase like everything and in one place yeah the full collection
2: yeah be immersed it was the first time i was like oh my god it all makes sense because in the office you know we had a green carrot on one corner and then the snail in the other and a little frog there and then a (laughs) (laughs) a prototype of candle holder in my back and i was oh my god and i had to make sense of it in my head but at least now with the store my head is actually dumped in a beautiful little space where I can actually look at myself, you know, look at my ideas in one place. That's been amazing. Yeah. Really amazing.
0: Do you find, because I think there's like one thing that I struggle with, I know is sometimes communicating what's in your head to others. Yeah. Or I guess after years of doing it, do you have any tips on how to communicate your creativity well. To the world or to colleagues?
2: Yeah, I've never struggled with that. As you can tell, I'm a talker and I'm a dreamer. So, I always intertwine dreams and stories and I'm like unstoppable. And also, you're going to find it funny, but I feel like because I've got the, I'm have got i French and I've got that accent, people pay attention because they find it really lovely to listen to my wonky English. And I always say, but just correct me when I say, you know, grammatically incorrect They're I like, know it's so cute I was like but how do you want me to improve if you don't tell me <laughs> but anyway just to say that um I don't have any trouble communicating and I do little drawings as well that are completely imperfect but so I communicate by drawings and speech and writing and and you know the name of my brand Balzac so Balzac is actually the the name of my mother and all her family on her side, Balzac. It's the same name, Balzac, as one of the most famous writers in France. It's like the Shakespeare of France. He was called Honoré de Balzac. And he wrote major, major books that you study in literature in France. And then he lived in the first half of the 19th century. And he knew how to write like no one ever wrote since him. So I always felt like somehow because we, carried the same name family name I had that sort of predisposition to write and it's funny the thoughts you put in your head because then they become reality that's what we were saying about manifestation and visualization and so I I feel like I've got a bit of him in me and and funny enough when I read his biography he's born on the same day as me 20th of May I was like That's it, you know, we are connected. So yeah, by telling me all my life that I had something of him, I think that makes me probably subconsciously, that gives me a bit of a a validation that it's okay, I can do it, I can say it, I can express everything I have to say because I've got his blood in mind, which I don't. So, but that's,
0: (laughs) you know. But the mind, I guess, is like such a powerful thing, right? Like even you were saying like, you know, time and space is so important and how those align but if you have the confidence as you said to take the opportunity whether it's because you believe that you share the blood of a great writer or you know if not you know
2: yeah but the power of the mind is really not something to neglect you know yeah
1: and do you go back to france often outside of the
2: yeah current situation i am actually i was Really scared of flying until a few months ago. So, to me, going back home was always a, a pretty much like a, a torture, you know, yeah. the plane. And you can't have a longer plane ride, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like 24 hours. So, I was avoiding going back, although. So I would say I used to go every three to four years, you know. So the last 18 years, I got back there four times, which is not a lot. Mm-hmm. But I recently did and I overcame my fear of flying and I stayed there for two months with my daughter and we went back into, you know, all the little spots in nature that I love and reconnecting with my families. So, yeah, I try I try to go back and when I returned uh, three weeks ago to Sydney, I realized how magical it was to have two lives, because the life I have in France is beautiful. I still have my childhood bedroom with everything, my books from when I was little, my clothes, like, you know, it's my proper roots. And when I left, I was sad, but I knew I was going to an equally beautiful life that I've built fully, you know, with my own determination and yeah, stubbornness. And because now I'm I'm actually, I've got an Australian passport and I'm a citizen. So I've managed to build two lives that I love going back and forth with. There is not one that I would turn my back to, but I wasn't meant to become Australian. You know, that's something I went to get and that i got and so it's an it's like a feuille cake you know this pastry in france where you've got this puff pastry with vanilla cream and pastry and cream and pastry and icing and i feel like i managed to add layers that were never meant to be there but they are now and i love this idea of a multi-layered so yeah going to france is beautiful leaving france is beautiful <laughs> it's a very fluid between the two
0: one of the big, one of the big questions I think that most of our listeners really enjoy to hear are, you know, what is some of the inspirations that you have at the moment? Whether it's people or brands or, you know, what's inspiring you today?
2: So look, when I was in France a few weeks ago, I went to the Elsa Schiaparelli exhibition at the museum next to the Louvre, and that was just insanely amazing. I got the catalog from the exhibition and I know I'm going to tap into this for many years to come. So that's at the moment is really, I'm I'm a bit going in circle with this. It's like bugging, you know, a computer system bugging because it was so modern, so poetic, so ahead of her time. She collaborated with so many people. So there were so many lessons that I could walk away with. So that Schiaparelli is my current obsession. And then more and more, I actually have friends around me who are creating brands or turning around brands to be extremely sustainable, especially in the fashion industry. And last week, I, I actually had dinner with Char, who runs that brand called SA E E S E and you know she's turned her back to the usual four collection a year. She only makes small batches when it sells out, it does. Every single fabric is sourced in a sustainable manner. And I've got one of my oldest friends, it's an 18 year friendship, Paloma as well, who is a hairdresser, and her hairdressing salon is completely sustainable from the water she uses to wash people's hair to the recycling of the hair, the products she uses, but also the training she gives. Gives to her team to know how to approach any clients without being having preconceived ideas or even asking, "Do you have a partner?" or you know, approaching human beings when you deal with human beings. And I just really, I'm so inspired by all these amazing women I have around me that, in turn, you know, make me wonder how do I want to run my own business? What are the the really strong value that actually fall in line with my love of nature and my respect for the world that surround me? So that is. These are, yeah, two massive sources of inspiration for me at the moment. This incredible woman from 1915, Schiaparelli, and all my female friends, really game changers of this world in 2022.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's really cool to even then think about, you know, someone from 100 years from now. Maybe podcasts won't be what they're doing, but whatever it is, however, their form of communication to, yeah. to go back and, you know, maybe quote you as being this inspiration. Yeah. They saw the snail <laughs> and their life was changed. Yeah,
2: but you're absolutely right. We should um, always consider, you know, in a hundred or two hundred years time, how would, do we want to be remembered? What is the important message or the one thing that we've done for the good of this world? So, yeah. Absolutely.
0: I'll never forget I was once in the Museum of Natural History in New York. It was in the like the Egypt section and there's these just these beautiful huge sculptures that you know obviously from thousands of years ago and they were still there and they were it was just uh, amazing. <laughs> and I was just taking it in and I was thinking what will we leave behind? Mm. And then there was this kid that was sitting there and he was on an iPad. Mm-hmm and his iPad went off and he started to scream and cry. And then the parents went and fixed his iPad and I was like, oh my God, I hope we're not leaving behind the
2: iPad. (laughs) Definitely not. This is not a long-term object, (laughs) but you're right. You're
0: right. I'll be like, they'll have the ancient Egyptians with the beautiful architecture and then they'll have the ancient Americans with the iPad.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're absolutely right. But, you know, yeah, that links to also all the materials we use. My mind was just blown away by what the the beach has become in France. I would go back to the, yeah, the, the shoreline I used to go to when I was little and Lulu had a bit of like a plastic bucket just to play with and every time we went on the beach we had to fill this bucket four times just going up and down with minuscule little plastic things or you know wrappings or toothpicks or all of that and then it was a bit with Lulu, we we made it fun. And we're like, Oh, my God, like, how long has this traveled? And what can we do? Can we do a little scene with any of this rubbish, but all these little debris, it just reminded me, especially that whatever I produce, you know, it's my responsibility to make sure that either once it goes back to nature, it decomposes, or if it doesn't make sure it's an object that People will pass on. I mean, families will pass on from one to the next. Or, you know, being a glass maker as well, I know that this is highly recyclable, and but this should be kept as, you know, heirlooms for, for families. And so, yeah, you're right. Like thinking, looking at prehistorical or Egyptian of what we do today, we need to think of a long time away from us, a thousand years away from us. It's a good reminder.
0: It's also interesting just like even thinking about not only creating objects that can go back into the earth, but as you mentioned, creating objects that people want to pass on. And I was just listening to this interview earlier this morning on the BBC, and they were talking to a woman from Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and they were saying how Russian soldiers are going into areas and destroying museums, Mm -hmm. destroying heirlooms, because culture is such a significant part of who we are and how we identify. it's kind of really wonderful to think about not only sustainability in that way of make sure it goes back into the earth, but also if you're going to make something, make something that someone's going to treasure, you know, exactly.
2: That has a value, a visible value or an emotional value. That means you're going to hang on to it and look after it. Absolutely.
0: And create some emotional geography. Yep,
2: that's it. I think that's my mission.
1: (laughs) It wouldn't be a bad team exercise just to give everyone some coloured pencils and an A3 piece of paper and say, before we share, just draw your emotional geography, like what comes yeah. up for you from zero to twelve.
2: Well, you know what? When we hang up for this podcast, you should do it. Each of you just take a piece yeah. of paper, write emotional geography, and then just do it. Let's do it, I Wouldn't <laughs> mind buying some Derwent pencils. <laughs> I don't-
0: I kind of want to make a globe, like do an emotional geography globe. You know, where it's like, oh, this is my childhood. This is my diorama. Years.
1: That's very like you know, year three, year four. <laughs> did you do that in America? <laughs> did you do dioramas? You have to like build a little like you got like a shoebox, and then you like build like a little. I've never done representation. These. I think I did the Olympics in mind. <laughs> You can, like, hang animals and use coloured paper. Cute.
0: We had to do the Spanish missions. We had to create, like, a model of the Spanish missions.
1: Wow. Just going to make some notes. We'll do that later
0: (laughs) on our next one. Okay. (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, gosh, what a beautiful conversation. I feel like I'm definitely leaving this inspired. (laughs) Emma, I'm going to come knock through your door with a billion ideas. Yeah, I like it.
2: I've got some too. And you've made me say Um, things that I've never said before, so I'm glad it was a beautiful trouble. Amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But before we wrap up our chat, this season of the podcast, we wanted to really understand what excites you about tomorrow. You know, what are the, like, if there's one thing or two things, is there just something, whether it's the generation ahead or someone that you know that's working on something, Anything that's just really getting you excited for tomorrow? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, definitely. So my my daughter is nine and I've noticed that all of her friends, they're so aware of things that we've only as adults started talking about 10 years ago. So for me to see that they're so ahead of us with their consciousness or where the planet is and what is right and what is wrong, I feel like. There is a massive shift and change coming just because it's part of who they are now and they won't have to adapt to it. It's done. It's a given. So that is very reassuring. So I look forward to everything they're going to do because it won't be a forced task to imagine to be sustainable, they have to be. It's just no question asked and they know it. So that is super, super exciting. Another thing, let me check. I'm very curious about the weather, to be honest, because when I was in France, we were like 40 degrees every day for two months solid with probably two hours of rain in 60 days, which means usually my daughter lifts a rock to see what insects are curled up underneath to understand the ecosystem and everything. Every rock she lifted was as dry as hell and there was no insects under it, which means, you know, they had to go deeper and deeper. And then I got back to Australia and it was rain nonstop. And it just really, I can't shake off the idea that, yeah, it's going to be a very strange adaptation for us human being to be either extra wet or extra dry. And because we had a, a, a life long enough to know that this is not normal Actually, it's more of a worry than an excitement, to be honest. I can't finish on this. <laughs> because it's a bit gloomy. Well,
0: you know, one interesting thing, though, not to try to put a positive spin on it, but because of the the crazy drought, so in Europe, it's the biggest drought that they've had in 500 years. But yes. there's been areas where, I think it's like German ships, like old sunk World War II German ships have can be seen. And in the U.S., they just came across the largest collection of dinosaur tracks ever seen because the water has gone down. So they found this like ancestor of the T-Rex. They found 140 of its little paw prints, I guess.
2: That is amazing. No, you're right. There is always an upside. (laughs) But I heard as well that the Great Barrier Reef has never had a rate of reproduction that was so fast. Did you hear that?
0: No, that's the good news. You know there how it was
2: dying dying, oh, dying, yeah. dying for so long and now they just turn the corner and it's just growing at a pace that is and unbelievable. So I was like,
0: yay. Something very positive and exciting to look forward to.
2: That links back to one last thing I want to say is my older, I've got two brothers and each of them are as passionate as I am, but about extremely different topics. So my younger brother, it's computers and he's a computer in his mind. He's just an incredible, rapid thinker. But my older brother is about marine biology and he actually just created a new material made of shredded oyster shells that they mix with like a glue, which is from organic origin. And then they recreate marine habitats on land that they then immerse in intensely overfished area. So he goes from Japan to Miami to in Monaco, south of France, and they just immerse this structure. And then weekly, they go and check if fish go back there to actually nest and have another home to go and reproduce. And they're just finding that, again, it is everywhere they they put it. It's been so successful that they actually can't produce them fast enough. And I'm so proud of him because he spent the last 15 years developing that and it's working. And so I know there is definitely – amazing things happening out there to um, fix everything we've done. (laughs) That's very, very cool.
0: It sounds like you guys maybe should do a little collaboration on your first diorama.
2: That's true. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Good idea.
0: (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you so, so much. Such a beautiful conversation. I hope our listeners are feeling as inspired as I am at the moment
2: thank you so so much for having me and for making me open up to all these things I've forgotten about it was a a beautiful morning with you both thank you so much
0: well everyone thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our episode today with Elise definitely check out Mason Balzac if you're not already familiar and if you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's episode you know please give us a comment a like a share anything that you might want to contribute and tune in in two weeks time when we have flex mommy joining us in melbourne ciao for now